I hit a chili dip. It was off the it was off the hosel. I mean Cameron Davis is a joke. Mike, you got any yeah. takes on the e-golf pro tour? You already have iron <laughs> covers. You already look like a giant <laughs> pussy. I don't care. I honestly don't give a struck- shit. He could be six feet under at this point, whoever WD. I didn't watch a single <clears throat> bit of it, but I'm going to chirp at the Fairmont St. Andrews because of the name. Yeah, Paul Tesori. Paul Tesori, friend of the pod. Neiman, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Friend so- of the pod on Betsy. Terrell Haddon, are you kidding me? And there's a raccoon, no joke, like 20 feet away from <laughs> Florida. Don't say Florida, I'm hanging. Florida. No! You can't yeah. say Florida! All right, guys, so we're going to get to Paul Tesori. What a phenomenal guy, and he had some great stories for us. After the interview, we're going to do Bermuda preview, matchups, back words, and we'll continue our Masters draft. So without further ado, here's Paul Tesori. We are now joined by one of the best caddies golf has seen, the 1993 NCAA champion with the Florida Gators. He currently loops for number eight in the world, Webb Simpson. Mr. Paul Tesori. Paul, thank you so much for coming on. How's it going? Man, it's going great. Chris, I love that introduction. <laughs> Can I hang up and call you back? Again? <laughs> yeah, just keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of one of a caddy's jobs, one of the many hats that I wear is an encourager to uh, the guys that I work for. And uh, you just started off on a good front there. Uh, glad to be on. I uh, love, love the game of golf, obviously. And uh, anytime I have a chance to talk about it, uh, love, to, love to get it done. Can I call you Mr. Two-in-One? <laughs> absolutely you can call me whatever you want um yes that that'll lead to i'll let you kind of intro that to uh for anybody that doesn't know i mean just just off the bat would you mind telling that story briefly i'm sure you've told it a thousand times but it, it's really That's one okay. of the best tiger stories i've ever heard <laughs> yeah it definitely is so uh to paint the picture uh my third event caddy in my career the year was 2000 uh, VJ had won the Masters that year. Tiger had won the other three majors. Uh, we get the President's Cup. We get paired against Tiger the first four matches. Um, Tiger's partner was Nota Begay, who at the time was one of the best players in the world and won four times in the previous, I think, 13 or 14 months. Tiger was not playing very good that week. Nota was carrying him. They were 3-1 and one against our BJ and, and his partner for the first four days. And, of course, in singles, we, we draw Tiger again. So we show up on the last day. The U.S. only needed two points to win. It was, a, it was a route. And the ball guys had 12 hats made up for the international team, uh, beautifully embroidered on the bat that said Tiger who. And we asked about him, and it was, it was a joke. Uh, Tiger hadn't signed their flag yet. The other 23 guys had it. When I say ball guys, the guys that give the balls out on the range for each player, we kind of hit whatever company you're with. You get to choose that company to, you know, to use their ball on the range. So they had these hats made up. I thought it was funny. Showed it to VJ. He thought it was funny. We get into our match. We're one up through three. And we get to the fourth hole. It's a par three. And there's water left. Tiger hits it in the water off the tee. Uh, dropped it. Chipped it to about 20 feet for bogey. VJ hit a beautiful shot in there about 10 feet. Um, BJ turns to Tiger and says, that's good, pick it up. Obviously assuming he's going to respond, yeah, let's go to the next hole, Tiger doesn't say anything, which is very strange. So Tiger put, or, uh, BJ puts a 10-footer down to hanging over the lip. And I've told the story so many times, I think people think I'm embellishing, I'm not. <laughs> it was literally a millimeter from going in. Another 
another any kind of uh, gravity takes over the ball is going to go in and we don't hear anything we look over on the side of the green and Tiger's got a scowl on his face and his arms are crossed and VJ looks at me and goes I think he saw your hat and doesn't think it's funny <laughs> um, and so VJ taps in to go two up through four and you know one of the favorite part of the story is Tiger makes me retell the story at every team event that we have and he thinks it's hilarious too uh, the favorite part is that Tiger had not played well all week. He was just kind of disinterested. It had been a long year. Uh, the U.S. was killing the international team at the time. And we stood on the next hole, and Tiger turned about an extra 15 degrees on the way back and laced about a 305-yard, one-yard draw right down the middle and played his next 13 holes, uh, seven under, and beat us two and one. And obviously at the time, it was my third event, I was very green. I didn't really understand what was going to happen, something that I thought was fun and playful. When I got done and I was attacked by about 15 reporters, I realized, "Uh uh-oh, I've done something wrong. (laughs) So uh, a few events had passed and things between Tiger and me just seemed to be weird. So I went up to Tiger and said, hey, man, things have been weird since the President's Cup. I didn't mean any disrespect by it. Thought it was a joke, blah, blah, blah. he said, thanks for saying something. Uh, I didn't take it, you know, disrespectfully, but it did make me want to kick y'all's rear end. And uh, he used a different word for that. So uh, I laughed um, and he laughed. We didn't really talk about it again uh, for quite a while. I was working for Weber. It was 2000, either 11 or 12. I get this date mixed up. Weber remembers it like a gesture because he thinks it's so funny. <laughs> I like, like, I still feel like after all these years, all these practice rounds I've been out with Tiger in and all the head-to-head battles I've had I just feel like there's still like something there I was like watch this and Tiger loves Call of Duty and I always said that his name on Call of Duty should be Tiger Who because nobody would think it's <laughs> right, him right. and so he walks by and I said what's up Tiger Who and he goes what's up two and one and he just kept walking about another 15 feet and then he stopped to turn around with that big old grin that we've gotten used to seeing now um and my favorite part of the story is we haven't talked about it in 11 years and it was at the tip of his tongue so, you know, every time he saw me for the 11 or 12 years in between, he thought two and one because it didn't take him any time at all to get that out. So, uh, again, it's one of Tiger's favorite stories that I have to retell. He was the captain in 2019 President's Cup, and uh, he, he made me retell it in front of everybody in the team room. So, um, it's a good story now. It's a fun story now. It was a little bit weird to be in the middle of way back then, but I still had the hat signed by BJ and Tiger, so I've got that. That's so good. <laughs> And yeah. that takes some guts to call him Tiger Who that second time in, in 2012. I know it. I know it. Well, by then we had become, I, I wouldn't say friends, but we had become friendly um, and had been out a lot. Uh, I worked for Sean O'Hare for a while, and him and Sean were friends. So it was just kind of, uh, I thought it was the right thing to do. And I still think it should be his handle on Call of Duty. I don't know what he uses now, but it'd be a good handle. Totally. Now, let's go back to your playing days. You were a three-time All-American college player, which is a hell of a feat in itself, and you won the 93 NCAA championship. Florida head coach Buddy Alexander was known for his arguments with his players. Do you recall any specific debates that you had with Buddy? (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, me and Buddy, we butted heads. uh, Excuse the pun. Um, We we butted heads quite a few times, uh, especially my first year. There, I think I needed to be uh, a little bit of that, you know, kind of young punk syndrome needed to be chiseled off a little bit. And I was a stubborn one. So I like to do things my own way. And so Buddy and I, we, we had some moments. One of the best ones was he thought we were playing too much, uh, too many video games. 
And so he instituted what was called a buddy hall. So we had study hall and we had buddy hall where we had to go a couple nights a week and spend two hours at the golf course uh, studying. Well, one day we were in a team meeting and he goes, hey guys, y'all have any wish. What do you want for the entire semester? And everybody's saying, you know, I want I want to lower my scoring average. I want to get my short game better. Um, you know, I want to improve my driving. It gets to me and goes, what do you want, Paul? And I said, I want infrared Sega so you'll have no idea when we're playing. <laughs> of course, the whole team just lost it laughing. Um, Buddy tried to keep a straight face. He started laughing. I think that was the start of our, our relationship growing and getting better. Uh, we ended up becoming friends, and he was a great mentor. Uh, we had our battles for the first uh, half of my time there, but the last part I was extremely thankful for, and uh, and we got to be quite close after that and still are today. That's awesome. So after your brief stint on the PGA Tour, you accept the golf pro position, and you leave Florida. You then receive a call from Vijay Singh. Who, whom you developed a relationship with while on tour, and you follow him at the 2000 PGA at Valhalla. You took over as his caddy the following week. After what must have been a crazy year for you, figuring out your future, when did you realize that you are going to be doing this for a long time? Yeah, it was obviously I had never thought about caddying. Um, had a, a solid college career, not spectacular by any stretch of the imagination, but like you said, three-time All-American yeah, in, co- in college, I felt like, you know, I wasn't as talented as the guys I was playing against. And, and I was right. Chris Couch, Brian Gay both ended up winning the PGA Tour. We're both first-team All-Americans. Um, I was kind of realistic about things. And when I got my tour card, I was as shocked as pretty much anybody. And I think it's because I didn't put a whole lot of pressure on myself. Um, my two-year stint on tour basically was one year. I got hurt in the middle of it, had rotator cuff surgery and labrum, a labral tear as well. And just my mind never came back physically. I was never the same after that. And, uh, I started teaching full time and I loved it. Uh, I just wasn't making a ton of money and the hours were quite a lot at the time. Didn't really know what I was going to do next. Uh, I thought about getting into like the apprentice program to eventually become a golf professional or a GM. And the phone rang one day was VJ and said, Hey Paulie, what's up? I'm not much. He goes, um, my caddy's taking a couple of weeks off. Love you to come out and caddy for me one week uh, and just kind of see how it went. I was like, yeah, great. So we went out the first week. We played well that week, finished 10th, um, and we changed something in his golf swing. And I had really studied the golf swing a lot at that time, and v and, me and VJ had known each other just from all those years practicing with TPC together. So the next week he asked me to come as his teacher, and it was Jack Nicklaus's last PGA it was Tiger going for his third in a row at Valhalla and one of the great battles uh, of all time between Bob May and Tiger Woods. And I followed those three the first two days, just Jack, Tiger, and DJ. You know, for me, it was an eye-opening experience, kind of to the fact of, you know, big-time sports, probably still the biggest crowd I've ever seen. Jack for his last PGA and Tiger going for three in a row. Uh, and at the end of that week, he asked me to come on full-time as his caddy. And so very quickly things changed. Um, we had a lot of success together our first three years. We changed his golf swing, uh, made it much more dependable, kind of went from being stuck on nine wins for a long time to winning 17 times in a three-year stretch. Um, and for me, I still didn't know what I was going to do afterwards. Uh, once me and BJ had split up, uh, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do next. Uh, and Jerry Kelly called. And working for Jerry was the first time I realized, okay, 
I've, I've got something here. I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Uh, me and Jerry had a lot of success. President's Cup team uh, in 03 in South Africa, uh, which was the famous tie, the President's Cup. And um, I just realized, okay, th- I do have something here. Uh, here we are now, what, 20 years, almost as my 21st season now. Um, and I love what I do. Uh, I don't really want to do anything else. Uh, my body's too beat up to play golf uh, in, any, you know, professionally anymore, even on the senior tour. Uh, I worked hard on my game. It kind of got it back again, but just physically a little beat up from all the years. So uh, it looks like caddying is going to be it for as long as uh, my body will hold up. Let's go to 2011. You get on Webb's bag and I mean, what, what must have seemed like immediately after you guys win the 2012 U.S. Open, are there any specific shots or conversations that still stick out to you today from that week? Yeah, you know, Chris, I think it was more of a build-up than anything else. Uh, when I started with Weber in 2011, he was 213th in the world. It just kept his card the year before. And, um, you know, I wanted to try to make a different decision when I went to my new boss. I had had a couple of top 10 offers in the world, and here was Weber at 213. But I, I knew that mine and his faith were very, very similar, and I wanted to not have my next job to be three years or four years. I wanted it to be for the rest of my career. And um, I just knew personality-wise him and I were going to be good. I just didn't realize how good he was going to be at the game. Um, and very quickly, 2011, uh, finished second on the money list, second in the player of the year vote. He won a couple times, uh, second in the FedEx Cup, uh, and realized, wow, okay, this this is going to be something special. And then, like I said, 2012, the first kind of sign of adversity were the two weeks before the U.S. Open. We had missed our first two cuts in a row, really struggling, missed a cut by seven the week before at Mirrorfield. And we show up at Olympic Club in California, um, searching, to be honest with you. And uh, I still remember being the last two, well, the last two. He was the last player on the range Wednesday afternoon. And we had worked really hard, and we found something in the golf swing late Wednesday afternoon, just a feel. Uh, And played pretty good the first couple of days. Uh, I think we were... Let's see, we were five over, I think in 29th place, but playing better than that, just not scoring well. And I remember Saturday, right before we teed off, I was like, hey, bud, just head down. You're playing great, full commitment. It's a golf course that can really get into your head quickly. The first six holes are just brutal to start off with. Uh, Three par fours over 500 yards, you know, 25-yard wide fairways with a lot of slope in them. Uh, and you just have to put your head down, realize you might be one or two over. Uh, he did, played almost a flawless round of golf, didn't putt his best, shot a couple under, and very quickly moved in to the top ten. But to go backwards real quick, I remember we were uh, on the short game range on Wednesday, and I said, hey, let me, let me ask you a question. A lot of people would be afraid to answer this question, but I'm curious what you would say. They give you second place right now. You don't go play. Would you take it? And he looked at me and goes, of course I would take it. He goes, yeah, people, you know, if that got out or somebody would say, well, that's weak mentally. He goes, no. He goes, if I had a chance to uh, win my first major, if I had a chance to gain the experience of trying to win my first major, what it would do for me confidence-wise, what it would do for me, uh, you know, world rankings, what it would do for me as far as making the Ryder Cup team in 2012 – I think what that would do to me going forward would be incredible. Um, and <laughs> to end up being in the spot that we were in on Sunday uh, was pretty surreal. And, um, he, his first interview 
one or two generic questions uh, before he went to the tee or to the practice range. And that was the only interview he did uh, before the end when he ended up winning the golf tournament, uh, becoming the 2012 U.S. Open champ. So it was just kind of a weird week. We snuck up on him. Uh, we played beautiful on the weekend, 400 par on the weekend around that golf course. It's just crazy, crazy good golf. Uh, drove it well, just really did everything well. And before we went out the last day, I asked him if he was going to look at leaderboards, and he said, yeah. And I said, well, let me make an argument for you. I said, if you're two under par and you're staying on the 12th tee and you look up and you're three back, or if you look up and you're one up, don't you think it would change your emotions? He goes, oh, yeah. And I was like, so why look? Just put your head down. Let's just play the best round of golf we can and go. And we were two over through five, uh, which is kind of typical around that golf course. Made an incredible birdie on six. Ended up uh, just playing perfectly pretty much on the backside, great up and down on 18. And we had to watch while while Jim Furyk and uh, Graham McDowell were finishing off. And voila, U.S. Open champs. That's fascinating that you asked him that question. Uh, what did you say? Did you ask him earlier that week whether he would take the second place? Yeah, that was on Wednesday on the short game range. We were just chipping, and I asked him. Man, it, it, um, it really and, puts and, into perspective kind of how solid his mindset was, though. Yeah, exactly. You know, it just for me, he's always looked at things the way you're supposed to look at. He's not really caught up in the pride or the ego or like the masculinity of always saying the right thing. He's just being honest in that boat. He's like, I've never, I've never competed. I've never tried. I've never been in contention on a Sunday to win a major. If I, if I finish second, that would be a spectacular week. Um, and, and we like to laugh about it now because it's just such a weird conversation to have, and then to end up. Uh, winning the golf tournament and obviously being in contention. And if we would have lost by one, he would have taken a lot of positives out of it. I'm glad we didn't. Glad he got it done. Uh, it was my first major. BJ already had two before I went to work for him and won one in between two stints that we had. So uh, for me, it was uh, it was my first and still my only. Uh, and I'm glad it was with him. And you've you've said that as a caddy, you need to be a psychologist. So how do you kind of just in general? How do you walk that? kind of tightrope of telling your player what he's doing wrong versus trying to give him confidence in what he wants to do. Yeah, you know, for a guy like Webb, who I've been with for so long, it's been really neat to watch him grow. Very early on, there was a lot of psychology that I needed to put into it. One of his favorite stories is that at times when I felt like his confidence was down or I felt like he was just doubting decisions, I would always point to the front part of the bag, the belly of the bag, and say, hey, what does this say here? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, what does it say right here? It says Webb Simpson. I said, that's right. Your name's on this bag. You've earned that right to have your name on your bag. You need to remember why you're out here, why your name's on that bag, because you're one of the best players on earth. And too often you don't believe in it. So that was one of the things that I started off very early on. And uh, another one of our famous stories, it was 2011 at Hilton Head. We had just finished second a couple weeks before at Tampa. He was starting to gain confidence, starting to see – some of the things that we had put into place, some of the course management tools that we had put into place, some of the psychological things, some of the mechanical things were starting to pay off. And this one hole, we got an argument about driver, three went off the tee. And I told him to hit driver and, you know, he hit driver and it was perfect. And I'm kind of, I'm chirping in his ear the whole way down the fairway. Buddy, if I tell you to hit driver, just hit driver. (laughs) Whatever I tell you to do, you just need to do. Um, and there was an old famous caddy that said, if, there's, if I say there's cheese on the moon, you just bring the crackers. So I, I'm going to this whole thing, and we're walking down the fairway, and he asked me to stop and put the bag down. The bag's 50 pounds, so you don't really want to have to put it down. He said, I need to get something out of the bag. I said, okay. So I put the bag down. It's like, 
wait, what is this? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, come over here. What is this? And of course he hooked me in perfectly and he pulled me around. He goes, what is it? And he's pointing to his name. <laughs> so the line I had given him the whole time about Webb Simpson being on the belly of the bag, he pulled on me and goes, huh? He goes, that's my name on the bag and you weren't for me. So you just remember that as you start all this. And, and we had a great laugh about it. And uh, still one of our famous stories uh, that we tell to, to pro-am guys all the time now, but it's that kind of relationship and the psychological part was just helping him believe in himself more. And, you know, now I look back and he's such a different person now, you know, he had no kids then now he's got five. Um, him and he had his father who was his best friend and he passed on a few years ago. And I think Webb's taking a lot of his strength on him now. And I, I work for a man now where I feel like I had kind of a kid then I now work for a grown man who is just running his life the way you would ask him to. He's a professional through and through. He's the dad I want to be, the husband I want to be, the friend I want to be, the professional that I would love to be. And uh, it's it's now a much different job, and I have to do a lot less psychological stuff than I used to. Now, what do you do when, let's say, Webb asks you what the wind's doing? Maybe it's swirling, you're unsure, or he goes, is it the seven or the eight? And you have some hesitation and you're put on the spot, what do you, what do you do in those scenarios when you're trying to give, you know, a confident response? Yeah. Well, very rarely am I going to be unsure what I think the right club is. Uh, there's typically always a right club. Um, if you're ever in between clubs, then the right club's the safer club. If you're in between a seven and eight, find where the problem is. If you're staying on 17 at TPC Sawgrass and you're in between an eight and a nine iron, um, and the pins in the front, you're going to hit the eight irons. Pins in the back, you're going to hit the nine iron. Just the safer club, the smarter club. So what I'll try to do typically is give facts. I try to help uh, a lot of young caddies will call me and just ask for advice. And always say facts. Don't tell them always how you feel because, I mean, what does that really mean? Typically the player's feels are going to be better than the caddy's feels. In fact, I still get in trouble on occasion when I try to kind of – the player Paul comes out instead of the caddy Paul. Uh, and so – you know, I'll just give facts like, hey, bud, uh, you know, front of the greens, 130, it's playing 140, our 9 iron goes 150. So even though the 9 iron might not get to the flag, it's always going to be on dry land. It's always going to be okay. The worst we're going to make is a three. Let's just hit a good full 9 iron. And what that does is it eases the player's mind uh, in the moment. And that's all you're trying to do trying to give him confidence in the club that you think he needs to hit. And then you'll have probably that half a dozen times a year where you guys are on a completely different page. And you can just tell that if he really wants to hit the one club and you don't think there's any like hazard that's going to come into play, give him confidence in that club. It'll usually happen with Webb and I off a tee. He might want to hit a three-wood. I might want driver. Um, and if I can tell he's really hesitant, I'll say, hey, bud, just hit us a three-wood out there. It's fine. We'll have one extra club in. Who cares? You're a great iron player. So kind of reading the player at the same time. And the longer you're with somebody, the easier it is to read. Let's go to the – anchoring ban obviously that was a difficult time for Webb, and it seems like you guys had different ideas about how to approach that change i gotta ask you did you snap Webb's putter no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> that was not me no um kind of to answer the first part of the question is uh you know when the usga announced the anchoring ban that was going to take place in 2016 um we were obviously disappointed in the decision uh at the time, there were only, I think, eight guys that were using that method. Uh, more young guys were trying. 
Um, and so for us, we were disappointed in the decision. Um, it had been legal for, at the time, 46, well, it been forever. Um, and guys have been winning tournaments since the early 70s using that method. So we were disappointed. And once the decision was made, you just have to go. Uh, there's really no other choice. So we changed a year early, and that was my decision to do. Looking back, I think it was the wrong decision. You know, Webb thinks it's the right decision, thank goodness. But, you know, we probably should have waited till 2016 to change. We got ahead of it, changed a year early, thinking that we'd get ahead of the media push of the guys that needed to change. But very quickly, Webb went from being a top 50 putter in the world to being in the upper 180s. Um, and uh, a lot of struggle over the next two and a half years, a lot of emotional struggle. Uh, we, we missed uh, two tour championships in a row, which we hadn't missed together. Missed three team events in a row, which we hadn't missed. There were some hard times, uh, and we had different belief of how it should happen. The snaps putter was him. He called me right before the Ryder Cup in 2014, and um, he he asked if I thought he should change, and I said yeah. And and he didn't change for the Ryder Cup, and we didn't putt well. Um, and we were going to go to Japan in November of 2014. And again, he wanted to hang on to the belly putter. I was like, buddy, it's time to go. And I just told him, I was like, I'll, I'll support no matter what you do. I just think you're using it as a security blanket and you're, you're not really pushing forward to what we need to do. And so in order for him to kind of get past that, he, he snapped the putter. He had won all those tournaments with, and he did it on purpose as more of uh, kind of like a memento of, hey, we're, we're moving past that area of my career into this next chapter. And he still has the putter leaning against the U.S. Open trophy to this day in his trophy case. So um, it wasn't done out of anger. It was done more to kind of push forward and say, hey, I'm going to break these uh, little security strings that I have and move forward. I think our, our biggest argument came in the middle of it all. It was the 2016 was it 16? Yeah, 2016 playoff event at Beth Page Black. And we had had nine three putts through the first two days. Uh, we'd made the cut on the number, and we just we were frazzled, stressed out, and we got into a pretty big argument. I didn't think he was doing enough things to change. I thought that he was just kind of hoping things would change instead of going after it. Um, we got into a big argument. Ended up, uh, thank goodness that he is who he is. Uh, I didn't get fired. He he knew that my heart was in the right place, even though my words weren't uh, the best at the time. And he's like, okay, well, what do we need to do? And he started really going after how to fix it. Uh, and he talked to Bernhard Langer, who has had the yips four different times. And Bernhard was really, really instrumental for Webb, uh, kind of just gave him some hope, which is all we really needed at the time. And 2017 players, uh, Tim Clark went up to him and, kind of gave him that right-hand saw grip to go with the arm lock that he had been using from Kuchar. And pretty much overnight, he was 192nd on tour in 97 going into that week, finished that year 88. And then the next year, finished the tour uh, fifth in putting. That's so uh, crazy. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, a year after he made that putting change, we won the players uh, wire to wire, blew the field away. Um, and that being my hometown was – the biggest win of my career, even bigger than the U.S. Open for me, and uh, and now he's you know he's back to top ten in the world. We reached as high as fourth in the world earlier this year, um, and hopefully we'll get back to there uh, to that point again soon. So fascinating, and to see it come full circle at the players was must have been so incredibly special. It really was. It had been four and a half years since we had won, 
Um, again, a year since Tim Clark kind of gave him that right hand grip that that started to uh, you know turn his career back around to the trajectory that it was previously on and. For me, I've had a lot of close calls here at the players. Uh, born and raised here in the area, grandfather taught me how to play the game. First tour event I ever went to was the players across the street at Sawgrass Country Club. Um, the better than most year when Tiger made the bomb on the back part of the green in 01. Uh, he beat BJ by one that year. I was in the last group with O'Hare and Jerry Kelly a couple times. So a lot of chances to win. Never got it done. Um, this is where friends and family and everybody's from. So... You know, that week to, to do what we did, to shoot 66, 63 the first two days, take a, a six-shot lead, then a seven-shot lead going into the last day, and then to, to play a really good round of golf the last day under all that pressure uh, was just really rewarding. And it was kind of like the welcome back party. Uh, he's back. Um, and it was, to be honest with you, when I look back on it, my joy over that win much more than the U.S. Open, where I feel like we snuck up on everybody. Uh, all the spotlight was on Webb the entire week, um, and he came through in the clutch at my favorite tournament of the year. So it, it, it's something I'll never forget. So, Paul, you've to switch topics here, you've told us your favorite Tiger story. we got to hear another. What's your second best Tiger story? We can't get enough of them. Yeah, man, there, there's there's a bunch of them, that's for sure. Um, let's see. So I've been on the wrong side of a lot of tiger wins. Uh, so a lot of those celebrations that you see with hat throws and fist pumps, I've been on the wrong side of probably a dozen of those. Uh, um, I'm trying to go through and and think of, uh, a couple of my, I guess, favorite, not favorites, but, uh, he finished Eagle Eagle on us in Hawaii, the Grand Slam of golf. Uh, the only player still to this date to ever do that to beat us in a playoff. That was with Beach. Um, we were five up with nine to play at his tournament at Sherwood a bunch of years ago, and he shot 30 on the back, beat us by a couple there. Um, working for O'Hare in 09 at Bay Hill. Uh, this was after, obviously, um, Tiger broke his leg in the 08 U.S. Open, and then he had that really rough off season with uh, all the drama that went on there. And his first one back, that was at Bay Hill, and he made that 30-footer on the last hole to beat us there. The year before, we were on the last hole at Bay Hill when he made the bomb uh, to beat Bart Bryant um, on the last hole. So, you know, I've got a lot of those. I think my, my favorite story, it's not going to be one that's funny or anything else, it's just I think it personifies Tiger and what he's been. And it was really him as captain of the 2019 President's Cup. It's, you know, for him to be on that team was special. Uh, the way we won was special. We were getting just slaughtered. Um, the international team came out hot. Uh, they took a 4-1 lead the first day. The next day, it looked like they were going to be up 9-1 um, and very easily 8-2. And Tiger just kind of kept going to each guy. I was like, guys, don't worry. It's fine. Talent's going to come out. We're a better team. Stick together. Trust each other. Don't press. We're going to win this competition. We're going to win this thing. And, you know, sure enough, the guy, uh, he's just a beast. He went 3-0, and the first playing captain in 28 years at the time. He went 3-0 and as an individual. If he goes 1-1-1, and we lose the President's Cup. If he goes 2-1, and we tie the President's Cup. Um, and just as a captain, his calmness and just his presence the entire week, 
was unlike anything I've seen. It's, that was my 13th team event I've been a part of, and I think of that there's been 10 different captains. And just far and away, he was more prepared than any other captain I had seen. He was calm, uh, and he just led us extremely well. And I think when it's all said and done, I think that's how he beat us all, all those times. Number one, he was better than us physically, but I think mentally he was better than the rest of us too. Just the ability to when things seemed like his back was up against the wall or um, as the pressure rose, he got calmer. Uh, and you hear great athletes talk about it all the time. Michael Jordan uh, had always talked about he felt like in crunch time the game slowed down, which for me doesn't make sense. Everything right. up for me. Right. I'm behind uh, – when you think he talked about, you hear Tom Brady talk about the fourth quarter, things seem to become clearer for him, slower for him. Um, and I saw a glimpse of that uh, at the President's Cup in 2019 with Tiger. And I think if we would have had any other captain that week, we probably would have gotten beat. It's unbelievable. And, and just from watching Tiger my whole life, you can see that presence and that calmness on TV, which is really pretty incredible that, that you can see that aura yes. around him. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I always hear the young guys now say, I wish I could have played against Tiger at their best. And, of course, I just want to jump up and scream. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't want any part of it at so his best, okay? So just calm down there, Sporty. Uh, you really don't want him at his best because it was unlike anything that I believe we'll ever see again. So before we wrap up, and I want to get to your foundation at the end, um, but I got, I've got some rapid-fire questions for you. We've got 10 okay. of them. Okay, 10 of them. Oh, we got boy. 10 of them. You ready? I'm ready. All right, what's your low round? Low round, 60. When's the last time you beat Webb? Um, it was 2016 at Augusta National. Holy shit. <laughs> That's a good story. That's a good one. I like that one. Most famous person in your contacts? Uh, Tiger Woods. Favorite Gator athlete of all time? Oh, good one. Tim Tebow. Love it. Favorite course you've ever played, I'm assuming. Uh, gosh, Ty, Augusta National in Pine Valley. Who's the funniest caddy or player on tour? Funniest caddy on tour will be Kip Henley. Funniest player on tour, I'm going with Joel Damon. The most underrated part of Webb's game is? His mind. Do you guys have nicknames for each other? And if so, what do you call each <laughs> <Yes>. other? <laughs> I have a nickname for him. It's Boudreaux. Uh, and I have no idea how it started. Um, Boudreaux and Thibodeau is an old uh, kind of Louisiana joke. Uh, thing Boudreaux and Thibodeau are walking down the road, so I called him Boudreaux, and he calls me Broski. There's really nothing to it. It's just some southern words for buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdest thing you've seen one of your players keep in his bag? Weirdest thing I've seen one of my players keep in my bag. Wow, that's a good one. I'm going to say Webb. He has had a golf ball that well or that dowd drew on when she was his girlfriend so it would have been around 2009 it's an old titleist hp2 tour um and she wrote something in a red sharpie on there i don't really think i've read it it's kind of like that thing has never been out of the bag it's always been in the same pocket i'm so nervous it's either gonna fall out or (laughs) give some kid and so i treat it as if it's something sacred uh and, and so that would be my answer Lastly, what was it like playing with MJ, and how did you let him take money from you? <laughs> so, first of all, what a great experience. Uh, MJ has been um, the assistant captain on five of the team 
events that I've been on. Uh, when Freddie was the captain of the President's Cup, he was an assistant captain. Um, when Tiger was, it's the exact same thing. And uh, So MJ is, first of all, every single time I say, I'm like, hey, buddy, Paul Tesori, and he gets mad at me. He's like, I know who you are. I'm like, buddy, you're the greatest of all time. I'm never going to assume you have any idea who I am. <laughs> um, and so when we had a chance to play, I was so nervous. Um, it was out in Arizona. And, I mean, I, I was glad that I only lost 100 bucks. to be honest with you. I, I just, typically, if him and I were, like, if we were coming out here playing with the boys, I'd beat him every time. I think he may even have beaten me straight up. And I know if Justin Thomas, Keegan Bradley, if any of them are going to listen to this, they're going to be like, how did you let that happen? But... Uh, I was pretty nervous. I think I shot 40. I think Michael MJ shot 39 on me, and uh, and that was that. It was supposed to be an 18-hole match. I think I faked an illness or an injury at the turn. Uh, <laughs> I had enough of that round. <laughs> I played golf with the president of the United States when he was in office, and I wasn't that nervous with Bill Clinton for four days. And um, I wasn't that nervous, but with MJ, I was nervous. That's so good. Yeah. Now, Paul, I want to talk about your foundation, but leading into that, I. How much have your kids, and especially your son, influenced you on the golf course and the way that you approach your job? Yeah, so uh, thanks for asking, obviously. Um, For those listeners that don't know, my son Isaiah, he's almost seven years old. He is a gift from God and nothing else, but he has Down syndrome, a.k.a. trisomy 21. He has the third copy of the 21st chromosome. And he has taught his daddy more in his almost seven years now than I learned in my first 42 um, you know, we got a little nervous when we first found out, and I didn't have a lot of um, background in kids with special needs, especially Down syndrome, where my wife did. Um, it was a postnatal diagnosis we didn't know. Um, and I was a little scared at first, for sure, but um, the more I got to know my son and the more I got to know the community, those fears started to go away. And we've been very fortunate with Isaiah that he hasn't had a lot of the health issues that other kids have with down syndrome. Um, a lot of kids have some heart issues, some lung issues, some, uh, um, cranial issues. And, and I say it hasn't had that. Uh, one of the things we've done with the foundation is form a program called buddy baskets, where we spend uh, somewhere between two and $3,000 and get these big old elaborate baskets for mom and dad. So they can enjoy the birth of their child too often. When, uh, a child with special needs is born, you don't, get to enjoy that birth because right away they're whisked away by doctors and nurses and specialists and so often people mean well but they say they're sorry and you know that's you just don't get to enjoy it and so one of the things we want them to do is be able to enjoy the birth of their baby and um we've lost six of those kids in the last seven years just from health issues and we've just seen tremendous amount of pain but for isaiah he sees the world different than i see it uh he sees the world the way it should be seen you know, if I'm in the left-hand lane and somebody's slowing me up, I get frustrated. Um, where Isaiah has therapy three days a week, and he could get frustrated, but he, does, he just kind of says, oh, it's a new challenge, new thing to be joyful about. He finds, uh, I try to describe Isaiah as, and most people with Down syndrome, adults as well, they spy out joy in every situation, where I feel like now more than ever in our world and in our country, we spy out uh, negativity. Totally. We spy out spite. Um, we spy out something to not like about someone who has different opinions than us. Where my son, it's the opposite. And he's changed me. I now am trying to see the world the way he sees it. And our foundation is an example of that. We have uh, 20 all-star kids clinics this year throughout the country where we do um, a one-on-one golf clinic 
with PGA Tour players, coaches, and caddies, uh, and the local first tee for 25 kids with special needs uh, to introduce them to golf. Uh, it's one of the best activities that these kids can do. And it's just a sport that has given so much to me. My grandfather and my dad taught it to me when I was a boy, and I want these kids to kind of know it and to love it and to give them something to do outside of the house as well. And also to give the parents a little bit of a break. So for me, the foundation, uh, we passed the $1.5 million mark in uh, goods and services that we've been able to get back in the last 10 years. Uh, so much of that is from the community uh, that has been established because of what I do. People all throughout the country either volunteer with us or give with us pray with us, encourage us, um, and we wouldn't be able to do it without them. It's, it's really incredible stuff. The Tesori Family Foundation, it's amazing. The fact that you feel the need to give back is really incredible, and I think more people need to have that mindset. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, we've all been given an incredible gift. Uh, some, of, some of the gifts look different than others, uh, but we've all been given a gift. And, uh, you know, I always believe that the thing about giving is you're trying to help other people, but what you'll see is you get way more out of it than the people that you're trying to help. And I know that for me and my wife and my family, we can definitely say that's the case. I totally agree. And, and seven years ago, I rode my bike across the country with my father and two sisters. We raised money for underprivileged wow. kids. And it was, wow. it was the most fulfilled I've ever felt. And there's no material reason why I should have felt that way because I didn't gain anything in my own life. But I, I felt so fulfilled by being it, by feeling like I had earned something that I could give back. Buddy, that's so good, Chris. I love that you did that, and that's just a great example. You set out to do something for others, but you ended up getting more out of it. Um, and again, in the world that we live in right now, you know, it's obviously it's a political time right now. We've got one of the biggest votes in the history of our country coming up. But the thing that I wish is no matter who wins that sucker, we're still Americans um, and we need to try to band together. Uh, and I know that that's going to fall on deaf ears. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm one sided in the way I believe. However, I'm open to hear other people's viewpoints, you know, and I just wish we could do more of that. Totally. Paul, we can't thank you enough for giving us your time. We'd love to have you on again at some point. This was such a pleasure. Chris, thank you for having me on. Uh, good luck to you and the Chili Dip podcast. Uh, I think what you're doing is great. Uh, really impressed by your research, um, kind of going in the background and finding some of those things that a lot of people wouldn't know. Um, and so hopefully uh, maybe we'll win this thing coming up in a couple of weeks called the Masters, the November Masters, and we can do it again. Let's do it. Once Webb slips on that green jacket. I love it. That's a great plan. Thanks, Chris. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Two-in-One. Okay, guys. We hope you like Paul Tesori. We're going to close out this episode with some matchups, back words, and we're going to preview Bermuda. What do you guys think about Bermuda? Mike, I'll, I'll leave it up to you here. Mike's uh, pretty experienced on this golf course. He's a. Are you a part-time resident of Bermuda? I don't hold citizenship, but I go down there a couple times a year. We have a place uh, right outside of the airport. I don't hold citizenship. Uh, <laughs> Bermuda, no, friend of the I, pod. Bermuda is a true friend of the pod. Uh, hopefully one day we'll go as a pod to Bermuda. We've been talking about it. Oh, never, we got to do it. Mid-ocean, Port Royal. Mike's been oh, hyping gosh, up this Bermuda awesome. trip for years. Yeah. It's, never, it's never happened. <laughs> 
then COVID happens, all that. It's been a mess. But COVID happened I'm like not ex- two years after you started talking about it, buddy. That's no excuse. Well, we were you trying to shoot for January and look what happened. Okay. But the point is, so I'm not excited for the field per se. I'm definitely excited to see the golf course on TV and having, you know, sentimental attachment to this, uh, to the golf course. Um, it's on the complete opposite island of where my place is. So it's it's actually pretty tricky to get out there, but it's a, it's a good golf course. Um, I'm excited because it's one of the few golf courses that we're going to play this year. That's under 7,000 yards. Yeah, I did see that. It's like 6,800, right? Yeah. A little under 6,900, 6, yards. It's a, it's a Robert Trent Jones senior design, uh, built in, uh, I believe 1970 or 71 sometime around there. And, so this is a public golf course and it, it was completely neglected and, you know, kind of, kind of ignored. It was in really, really bad shape. And then when the grand slam, uh, the old PGA grand slam golf, you know, was in Bermuda, they played it at mid ocean for two or three years and then they decided to leave. But Bermuda's like, no, 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 no. You guys are going to fucking stay. So <laughs> With the government, they hired this guy called Roger Rulwich, and they literally pumped about $15 million into the course and did a complete renovation, you know, new irrigation system, rerouting, um, installed Tiff Eagle Bermuda. And, and the course is in absolutely primo shape every time you'll play it. Um, it's the only thing different I remember about this course is that par three. The fucked part three, yeah, sixteen, yeah, right? the the it's part, like yeah, the signature, signature par three sixteenth. It's amazing, amazing views. You see the water that's you know crystal clear blue, and the the funny part is in the summer the prevailing wind is straight into you, so it's yeah. an absolute bear. It's a it's a par four on a good day. You just well, remember bail, last year they had bail out right. Yeah, they had guys, I think they played it up. They played it from like 100 yards one of the days because I think they had like, what, 50 mile an hour wins. Guys were hitting four irons up there from 100 yards. Well, it's such a hard hole. I mean, the green, there's absolutely no width. There's no width to the green. There's bunkers on both sides. So literally, I end up just like queefing one out, right? Take your bogey, get out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the thing is, is that not a lot of holes actually on the ocean. There's probably, there's really only one or two holes on the front. That's, um, that's on the ocean, seven and eight, you got some ocean views and really the, the majority of the front is actually pretty flat and is going to be inland. That's where most of the scoring is going to take place. And then, then the back, um, once you get to 10, 11, that's when you really start to see, the, the really dramatic elevation changes that that's more akin to, to Bermudian golf and Bermuda in general, because there's Bermuda is incredibly hilly. There's not a single piece of flat land on that Island. Um, that's what I and love then that's about where th- these types of courses is players that can go deep on the front and then struggle on the back. It makes it so exciting on Sunday. Yeah. And that's when the, and that's, and on the back is when the wind is really, really going to start to pick up that part of the course is far more exposed because once you once you get to about the seventh hole it start the land starts to open up uh that first part of the front nine is a little isolated and then the wind really starts to play a major major factor and then by 15 16 when you get to the high point of the property 
you're completely exposed. Mike, if you had to say, what do you think the scores are going to be like this week? I mean, assuming we get standard conditions for this time of year, are they going to be pretty low because it's so short? Because in the past, we've seen some really high ones. Yeah, um, here's the thing. The, when, when the wind's down, it's an easy golf course. I mean, with all golf in Bermuda, the main defense is, is the wind. So I think if the wind you know, dies down, there's no rain, I mean, this is a perfect time to play. I, you're going to see guys you know, go threaten 20, maybe even 25 under if it's really short. Yeah. And if it's really wet. Well, let's get to matchups then. We got I some good it. matchups. Yeah, we've got some good ones this week. I'm it's a, it's a bleak week. No, <laughs> it's a dark it's, week. It's a fun week for matchups, though. You get some really good ones that you can. This uh, field, get, you've never seen so many washed-up players in this field. Yeah, <laughs> there's a hodge of the year. It's a hodgepodge of you know washups, web tour, you know guys with dual status, and then guys club pros never heard of. Club, <laughs> yeah, senior club pros and Paul Stankowski. Shout out Paul Stankowski. It's kind of sick, though, because whoever wins this tournament is going to mean so much to them. It's going to be like their biggest win. Yeah, it, that's cool. what's cool about these tournaments. And I like watching these small tournaments because it's weighted the same as a, like a memorial or in terms of exemption, right? You get that two-year exemption, plus you're going to get almost a full year because you'll get the rest of this year. And so it's a, yeah, and it's a life-changing thing for a lot of these guys. Should it right. really be weighted the same as the Masters? Oh, that's a whole as, separate as, argument. I mean, well, yeah. I'll tell you this what. This field is so matchup. tin pot. Huh? This field is so tin pot. It's sick. So first matchup could mean a lot to a guy like Kierdech Affy Barnrat. Matching up Oof. against... I think he's the last guy it's going to mean a lot to. The legendary. He's got like 80 Ferraris. Two gloves. 80 Ferraris and 100 vapes. Yeah. (laughs) Affy Barnrat, two gloves Ganey. He loves the islands, Ganey does. Oh, my God. He is an island. I'm surprised the matchup wasn't Tommy Ganey versus a Bermudian hooker. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking Kierdek in this matchup, though. He is. Ganey is an island whore. I mean, no pun intended, but he does have success <laughs> out here. He's and too much of a creature now, though. He has a sweet swing. <laughs> One of the two gloves in the game. His the head loopiest. changes so much elevation when he swings. You borderline need like an oxygen tank. There's so many jarring things about that swing. The grip, the two gloves, the swing plane, the way his head dips. But most (laughs) importantly, the tempo. It is so fast and just so, like, jolty. (laughs) But he might might be one of the best ball flighters in professional golf. That guy can hit it low. (laughs) He can hit it low with the best of them. Well, I mean, his swing is essentially giving the right hand, the ball, like a right-handed uppercut. Yeah. This is a I'm disgusting gonna, swing. I'm going to take Barney here. Yeah, I've also got gonna, the barn rat. Mike, you're on game. Yeah, I'm going to take... No, I'm going to take the vape king. Oh, come Kyrdek. on. I want to see just like a plume of smoke on every will you single go to Ganey? Will you him. go to Ganey if we give you two to one odds? Can you come back to me on that one? I'll go to Ganey on two it. to one odds. Okay, fair enough. You go to Ganey on two... I think the Island Hopper 
he pulls it out at two to <laughs> one. Right. I don't think there's, there's not enough motivation at one to one. Two to one, I think he's right. playing. He'll be inspired. He'll play inspired. There you go. Ganey beats Man Barnrad. of the seas. He'll, Sean will get two points instead of one. All right, fair enough. Second matchup, I think this is the most compelling matchup in terms of in terms of skill. We have Will Zalatoris against Christopher Ventura. Wow, we've moved on to some good golf here. Yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with Ventura. I think he's sick. He's a king. I think you know, I'm going to frame a picture of him spitting on Tomini Roma's ball. <laughs> it could be his career <laughs> Absolutely. I think there should be a bust put of his head in the Hall of Fame just for that. For his sake, let's hope is it's not his career highlight. Even if he wins the Masters, it'll be his career highlight. I agree. You know, I don't think he's going to get it done this week, though. I'm going to take Zal Torres. I think Zal Torres is arguably going to win this thing. You're taking like, Zally, huh? You're just going based off like the golf of the channel time. recommendations. It's that's yeah, really data, data golf, Sagarin rankings. Wait, before we before I go to my pick, it can't be remiss. Ventura spit on his ball on um on Romo's ball in his very first PGA Tour event. Mike, you keep going back. That's me. Mike, I don't know if I'm making your presence felt as obsessed with anything <laughs> as you are about Christopher Ventura. Wait, wait, wait. Let's go back, Mike. What, what exactly him. happened when he spit yeah, on the can, ball? Can, can you just recount it for us? I don't think we've heard it. We already uh, forgot. We heard it 30 seconds ago. He's so he drew. So Tony Romo was was going for the green, rolled up on. This was at the Safeway, and I think Ventura was about to putt. Pretty pissed, just spat on the ball, allegedly. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah, absolutely. I'm here to remind you every week. So who's your pick? I'm going to go, as much as I respect Ventura, I will have to take Zalatoris as well. You're going with the stock pick. Dude, Zalatoris is going to win this week. This is he's, this is his win right here. This, I think he's, he's getting top, too much. Hype. He's top ten in like nine events, and he finished sixth at the U.S. Open. Too much, dude. Hype. He'll be a top ten player in two years' time in the world rankings. Yeah, he will. A hundred percent. I'm good. Can I raise you on that? A year and a half. Fair enough. I think I, I think you're wrong. I think Ventura is going to win a Masters before Zal Torres wins an event. All right. Okay. What do we want to put on that? You yeah, want to, I was about to say, what are the odds? Me? Caddy for me next round after after Zalatoris wins. Okay. Next time I play, play like... Chris is gonna. I'm gonna put cement in my bag. Yeah, I, mean, I, I actually don't like this. Clubs. I don't like this. Go to Red Rocks. Put a boulder in there. All right, you guys aren't buying into Ventura. That's all right. He'll prove you guys wrong. I like Ventura. I just think Sal Torres like is already a top 35 player in the world. Okay. Let's go to our third matchup. We have number four in the world versus number seven in the world. Can you guess who it is? Not current. Not current. <laughs> Battle of the washups here. Battle of the washups. Hunter Mayhan versus Camille Vajegas, the original Spider-Man. This is a pretty special matchup, especially because Mayhan's coming off of some really solid play. He made a cut a couple weeks back, right, at Shriners? He did. Yeah. He did. So he's out for blood. No one I mean, knows how Vajegas is playing right now. 
I'm taking a flyer uh, on Vegas. I think anything's better than Mayhan at this point. Last time I saw Vegas, I think he was playing at the OSU event on the KFT. Yeah, he he's been playing a lot of KFT events. I think he made the cut. I could I can't confirm. Oh, that. he he's had a chance to win in the last couple events at one point. Yeah, it's about just which one. Was that he was the, in contention. Was that the OSU event? It could have been. I can't remember which one it was, but he's actually playing some decent golf right now. He's playing inspired, you know, coming off a uh, really sad story. So I think really Vajegas gets, yeah. Feel bad for the guy. I think we're all rooting for Camilla. I love Vajegas. My pick I was mean, Hunter, everybody's, but I kind of want to take Vajegas now just for the story. Vajegas was my favorite player when I was first starting to get into golf. He was, there was something about him. He's so charismatic and he swung so hard at it too. He was in that old Tiger Woods game. Which one was that? Like mm-hmm. 09 or something? I, I don't remember which. Yeah, which I think it was 08. Or 08, I mean, maybe. That Patrick Rogers was in the most recent Rory game, so let's not put too much stock into players being in video. <laughs> Vajegas was a solid-rated player. and I think he was like an 85 overall, maybe. He was pretty good. He won back-to-back playoff events. That's special. Yeah, yeah he that was sick was in his heyday. I'm yeah, going to take I mean, Mayhem. His peak was... Oh, Mike, are you on Vajegas or Mayhan? I'm on I'm on Camillo. All right. Yeah, that, that'll be a pillow last fight, not, most likely. It will be a it will be a pillow fight. But last but not least, we have a fourth matchup. Yeah, fourth this matchup. Is an, this is an enticing one. I Doc like Redman versus Will Gordon. Two pretty underrated players. I really like Two I really like players. Doc Redman. I, I was really about to guy. say the same exact thing. I was also about to say And I kind of hate Will Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> Doc Redman's playing some insane golf right now, too. Oh, I we'll go back to it in just a sec. Actually, let's go back to it now. I, I forgot to mention that um, Zal Torres is three FedEx Cup points away from getting st- special temporary exemption. Yeah, yeah he's so, he a 69 or better to get special temporary exemption, exemption. So He's on choke alert. I think there is absolutely no chance he finishes worse than T69 this week. He he's just missed the cut. So at, he missed the cut um, he missed in one of his last store starts. Is either Shriners or – I think it was Sanderson. He could it miss the cut. Been. I mean, you know, you don't know. You don't, you don't know. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's he's a lot so of good that could happen. Golf's a crazy game, but he is, if he plays even like at 60% of his capacity, he'll make the cut. Yeah, you know, if, he, if he's got his D plus game, C minus game, he'll make the cut. He's that good. Probably not. I can't, I can't confirm nor deny. Let's go back to Redmond versus Gordon. <sighs> I'm on the Red Rock. I like both of these players. I'm also on Redmond here. Wow. Mike, you're going to take Will Gordon because you were hyping up Will Gordon. You wanted Will Gordon versus Zalatoris. You know what? I'm going to take a – I might take a leaf out of your book. I'll take Gordon for the match, but I think Redmond might actually win this. <laughs> he really could. Redmond's pretty He was nasty. my pick to win. Yeah. The guy can go subterranean low. Well, that's, that's perfect then because you're, you're hedging now. I'm absolutely gonna hedge. Okay, picks to win, Mike. You are you're on Redmond. That's official. I'm on. Yes, 
That's a great hedge. I'm going to take Zal Torres. I'm going all in. He's the betting favorite this week. Yeah. I mean, rightfully so. He's so good. But that's and, such an indictment on the field when the when the bet when the betting favorite is a KFT player. Doesn't even have it status. Is. It's pretty sad, but I think I think that's disrespectful to to these card holders. At the same time, Zal Torres is what, like fifty fifth in the world. Like the fact that he's that high playing off of like limited starts on the PGA tour, a US Open start and corn fairy events is insane. So it says a lot about his play. Yeah, Zal Torres is world number 59. Yeah, that's ridiculous. He's an unbelievable player. I'm gonna I'm gonna take another guy in the matchups to win. I'm taking Ventura. Mm. So you're he, all he's in hot on right now. I'm all in on Zal Torres. This Ventura's in form. I think there's a good chance one of these guys wins. Yeah. I I agree as well. This is what I love about this week because I think everybody is hoping that someone is going to break out and make a name for themselves. I think it would be hard for someone for there not to be a great story in, in this week's champion. I mean, look what happened with Brendan Todd last year. Yeah. If Brendan Todd wins, it wouldn't be a good story. That's the only like not good story, (laughs) but shout out to him for coming back to Bermuda to actually defend this because, you know, he won two out of his, you know, two times in three weeks last year, and he's jumped all the way back into the top 50 in the world, I believe. You know, he could have easily just said, you know, I'm past this level of tournament now. I think he's the only one that qualified for BMW last year that's in this field. Unless Max really? Homa qualified. I don't think Max Homa made it to BMW. There's only two mm-hmm. players in this field that played one of the last two weeks. And those are? Homa and Todd. Oh, I, know. Oh, I don't it's know. To- it's Todd and someone else. Homa didn't play the last two weeks. Homa's a joke. No, Homa's a friend of the pod. I love. <laughs> I shout out Homa's podcast. Yeah, Homa's awesome. I, I love Homa's podcast. Uh, with uh, with bacon. With bacon. Get a get a grip. Yep. They're friends of the pod. I think Homa needs to get yeah. a grip. We'll have bacon on at some point. <laughs> I, I would love I'm to a have huge bacon. Show. I, I would love to. Huge Shane Bacon fan. Hey, Shane, hit us up. Okay, let's. this is actually – so we'll get to our back ass words because this is going to be really interesting back ass words because there's so many there was ones. There are a to, couple names that just jumped off the page in 3D. To the point where it's like some people aren't eligible. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Monday qualifier guys, the club pros, they're all off the board. Got to be like a pass winner or a PGA Tour player. It's got to be clear Absolutely. that this guy's going to play multiple PGA Tour events. So back ass words, order, I'm up, then Mike, then Sean. And then it's reversed for Masters picks. Okay. okay. This right. is. Want to start off? Yeah, I'm starting it off. I just haven't made a decision yet, per usual. You were just I'll, talking I'll about go if you're not of, ready. You were just talking about getting rid of these pauses, Chris. I'm I'm looking at the board, and the name that's popping out is DA points. I think and DA made the last cut. And I'm and I'm giving him to Mike. Okay. 
Sounds Mike, good. you got DA. Okay. So I'm up. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. So if I told you, okay, so this guy's last, in his last PGA Tour event, he finished T70 at Corrales. He has 12 worldwide wins, one on the PGA Tour. And this guy is going to go to Chris. I'm going to give you Arjun Atwal. He's wow. kind of sick. Roback Arjun Atwal. A huge throwback. He was he was like Tiger's playing partner for a long time. Isn't he the last PGA Tour player or the last amateur to win a PGA Tour event? No, that's Phil. Arjun Atwal has some ridiculous stat. I'm pretty sure Arjun Atwal won a PGA Tour event as an amateur. Double A, baby. He very I got much double did, A. He very much did not. He won the Wyndham in 2010. He's hmm. only 10 years removed from a win. He's sick. He so let he has one PGA tour win, three Euro tour wins, and eight wins on the Asian tour. Oh, those don't count. And one web.com win. He knows how to get this, get one. the job done. He was in a playoff on the Asian tour in 2017. Chris, <laughs> he lost to your favorite player. Can you take a guess as to who that is? I lost my favorite player. No, he lost to one of your favorite players. Oh, who's that? At least for Dylan Fratelli. Oh, God. <laughs> Fitzy. Oh, is yours. sorry. Sorry. Arjun Atwal was he Monday qualified for the Wyndham Championship and won it. I think he's won oh, right. Monday Q for, for a, a PGA Tour win. That would I have, think I'm he assuming. is the last guy. I think yeah. that's such Austin. Cook that's a good claim really to fame. Close. Yeah, I, I remember think it Houston came up when Austin Cook was in yeah. contention. They flashed back to it. So I was on the right. Did yeah. Cook did Cook Monday qualify for Shriners this week? I mean, uh, this year? No. Because no. he was recently in contention. No, no, no. Yeah, Cook he was in the playoff. Right. Okay, Sean, make your pick. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go to Mike, and I'm going to give you Bo Van Pelt. Little Bogot. DVP. Yeah. He was a baller back in the day. He was he really was. He was kind of like one of those he was one of those guys who kind of racked up top tens and top twenties. Hasn't done much since though. I mean he's he's old now. He's forty-four years old, not playing as he's best very golf. old. He was injured for a long time. Yeah. Chris, you're up again. I'm a big Bo Van Pelt guy. My brother got a ball from him on the sixteenth hole at TPC Boston like 10 years ago. Oh, so that's my nice. family's been a, been a Bo Van Pelt supporter the whole, <laughs> the whole way. You guys have close ties. We have good ties there. <laughs> I'm going to give Sean Nelson Ledesma. Mm. I couldn't tell you a single thing about Nelson Ledesma. I think he's from Argentina. Okay. I knew he was South yeah, so American. It, that was about it. I was about to say enlighten us. I don't think I've heard the name. Well, we'll come back next week when Nelson Ledesma top 25s and wins me 50 grand, and I'll give you some some info on him. Uh, yeah, I've got – No, it, no, no. Mike? No, it's my turn. Yeah, I was about to say, don't jump the gun. Oh, I yourself. can't wait um, to pick my next guy. Well, I'm going to give you – so this guy is also, is also a big fan of the islands. He, I think he's won once at Puerto Rico. 
And he last his last uh, his best finish this year is T41 at Corrales as well. I'm going to give you Sean George McNeil. George McNeil. Why do I know that name? Yeah, George McNeil. He I mean Wait, you you can't give Sean George McNeil. Yeah, I am giving Sean George McNeil. You already gave him Bo Van Pelt. No, I gave Mike Bo Van Pelt. Is a screw loose in your head, buddy? <laughs> that was really embarrassing, actually. Let's cut that. That is that was really dark. All right, McNeil. Yep, McNeil. Join the team. Lock it in. Uh, he's playing for a winning team right now. I'm, Sean, I'm you got a time. So. You have a really shitty team this week. I think this is going to be a makeup ground for for Mike and well, I. Well, it doesn't matter unless your team makes up ground. So it could just be a wash for everyone. But the good thing about these events, these you know kind of secondary fields, is it's a shit show. Like you don't know who's going to make a cut here. You, it's just you're trying to make your best pick and hope for the best. It's but, the dictionary definition of a crapshoot. <laughs> exactly it is with that being said i am gonna take who you giving me baby who are you giving me i'm gonna take brian <laughs> gay off the board one of the best putters on the pga tour for a you know good five six years um really good putter he won but, the heritage by 11 yeah but hasn't really been up to much this year so he can join your team i'll happily fork him over very Interesting teams this week. Mike, you got DA points and Bo Van Pelt. I was given Arjun Atwal and Brian Gay. And Sean, we That's gave a you sick team. McNeil and Nelson Ledesma. I don't know about McNeil, but I'm all in on Ledesma. <laughs> Ledesma's a joke. I'm pretty sure Brian Gay is statistically the shortest hitter on the PGA Tour. I think I think he's like <laughs> five so six. Mm. Actually, that's actually kind of sick for this week because, of course, it's 6,800 yards. Yeah, yeah 6,800. So, but I don't well, think this is he the has great... the magic with the putter anymore. But that's the great thing about the course this week because you know those long courses are 7,600 yards. You know when Brian Gay is hitting four iron and. And Bryson's hitting, you know, like a little 50 yard pitch, you know, this week, everybody's going to have a wedge. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Gay, poor man, Zach Johnson, arguably, but you know, I'll put a little bit of respect on his name. Homeless, homeless man, Zach Johnson. He's, he's made a good (laughs) career for himself, but you know, reminds me playing style wise of Zach Johnson, really good wedge player, good putter. So Chris, that might be a good guy for your team. I think you just gave me a little boost there, Sean. Yeah, I, I was kind of trying to boost your spirits after. Okay, Mike, a... you you insisted on talking about East Lake. We are gonna scratch it. Here's your chance to shine. Don't you blow get it. One minute on the clock. All right. I'm starting the timer. It's already started. Um, it's already started. Right. You're on the clock right now. Yep, you're, you're on the clock. Pepper... 40, 49. Yep, we're <laughs> counting down. Pe- Pepperdine waves. Dusted Oklahoma today, four and one. I, they probably stake their claim as the best as the best team in the country. This is without um, this is without William Mao, their best player, putting up a point in the entirety of match play. And also, they lost the they lost Haskins Award winner uh, Sahith Tagala last year. He Tagala graduated, nasty. Or, turned or he turned pro, one or the other. But yeah. but Pepperdine is going to be the team to beat on the men's side and South. Ole Miss won on the lady side. So 
Pepperdine, do you guys did you guys watch that show Zoe One Hundred One? Yeah, that of that campus looks like filmed on Pepperdine's yeah. campus. That's on the only thing I know about Pepperdine. No, that I didn't know that was true. I just thought they looked alike. Yeah. Nope. That is that is a f- true fact. True fact. Wow, that's pretty cool. Pepperdine, friend of the pod. Zoe One Hundred One, friend of the pod. That was a great Absolutely. show. Throwback. If you didn't like that show, you've got issues. Yeah, that boosted my spirit. So, you know, <laughs> nice to hear Zoe 101. I am 100% watching a Zoe 101 episode tonight. I think, oh, my God. It's got to be Teen Nick Hall of Fame. Like, you know, we you might need to. That's on your Mount Rushmore of Teen Nick show. Drake and we Josh might need to do one. like. A, yeah. I think we might need to do a chili dip Netflix party viewing of Zoe 101 one day. Is it on Netflix? Because if There's it is, no way it's on Netflix, tonight. Mike. I mean, or Hulu or something like it's, that. If it's on one of those, I'm absolutely watching. I think Drake and Josh is on Hulu. Drake and Josh is number one. It's not yeah, even close. Absolutely. Agreed. Okay. All time classic. Masters draft. Mm-hmm. Let's finish it off. We got we we starting to get into some deep territory here. I mean, yeah, we're. Our teams We're in murky are now waters. six six deep. Our teams. Do you want to give a brief recap of the teams? Just real quick, run through them. Yeah, I'll run through them. God, Eight and we have teams. to pick three more guys. No. Fuck. Yeah, three more guys. Yeah, each yeah. before the tournament. This week, this week, uh, Houston, and then um, is there one more turn? No. No, it's this week, Houston, then the Masters. Yeah. So we do have to pick three. Maybe four. Four. Yeah. Okay. I've got a deep list though. So just to just to recap, the player has to be outside the top 30 OWGR at the time of the pick. We have now 18 players off the board. I have Kevin Kisner, Sergio, Bubba, Jason Day, Ricky, and Rafa. Mike, you have Harris English, Victor Perez, Joaquin Neiman, Cam Smith, Ian Poulter, Corey Connors. Sean, you got Cooch, Scotty Scheffler, Burnt Wiesberger, Kevin Na, Spieth, and Lanto Griffin. All right. So I first pick this week, right? You do. All right. I, ha- I got a tough decision here. We all I, do. I No, I, you know, I've got some guys I actually really like. And I think Bombers are going to do well this week. It, it's – or this year because – you just look at Bryson. You look at other guys that play similar to Bryson, and who comes to mind? Cameron Champ. Cameron mm. Champ. He's a total bomber. You know, it's a flyer of a pick, but if he drives it well, putts well, he's a guy that could legitimately top ten, and he's been playing really he's well. A, but he's such a crap wedge player. Yeah, it's a tough scene to watch his wedges. Yeah. Oh, what's his? Oh, he's he's seventy one. Seventy one. Yeah, seventy one in the world. Interesting pick. Interesting pick. Well, the ball's not going to travel this year, so yeah. There's actually some. There's actually some logic to that pick. He didn't come to mind. I honestly didn't even realize he was in the field. Yeah, I had to do some real field digging this week. Try to. There was a lot of guys that I was really liked, and then I looked them up. Like Joel Damon's not in the field, you know. It, like it, it's guys you would expect to be there, but they're not. Mike, so. it's so it's so weird because the um, 
you know, last year's top 50s being held. Like Victor Hovland's 24th in the world. He's not in the field this at the Masters this year. Yeah, it's really outrageous. It, but they Which had to do so that. so fucked up. They had to do it because they moved the tournament. They had to keep the field the same. You can't bump some of the guys out. You know, that's... Daniel Berger, role number 14th, not in the tournament. Yeah, that's a really tough fit. It's, it's really dark. I am so nervous that you're going to take my guy... <laughs> it would be the second time you've ripped them right from under me. Just rip Let's your get heart this out. over with. Is it my pick? It's your pick. All right. Um, I, th- I think we've mentioned that you know there's really no names you know jumping off the page right now, but uh, he he played good. He's played good this year um, oh, in the calendar year of 2020. Um, to be quite honest, he hasn't really pulled up any trees during the wraparound, but we mentioned his name earlier. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to take Max Homa on my team. <laughs> Man, wow, that's dodging a bullet. I would have loved to pick Max Homa, but he's really just playing some terrible golf right now. He is, he's not playing great. I think he's missed five straight cuts. Oh shit. But he's a friend of the pod. He he's a friend of the podcast. Pod. I have bump. to ride with him. He could get a chili dip bump. And, you know, I listened to his most recent episode. He said he's playing playing well. So, who knows? That's good to hear. Guys, I've, I've got an easy pick here. I'm keeping my team that has incredible previous Masters finishes. Oh, wow. That's great. Oh, no. Because that's what you have to do. And I'm going to add another Masters champ to my team. Oh, I think I might. I might. Danny picked, almost picked this guy. Oh, not the guy I was thinking of. I hate I, Danny Willett, but he's on I my am team. Totally fine <laughs> letting you have Danny Willett. I looked into yeah. him and his past results, like the last Doesn't matter four months, just horrendous. I don't care. I'm not losing sleep over this pick. Yeah, I don't care. That's your worst pick. I now have three champions: Sergio, Bubba, Willett. I have Day, who should have won. I have Ricky, who should have won. Guess what? That doesn't get you shit this year. I have still Rafa, go out and who play. plays sick. Yeah. yeah. They got to go out and play. It's a new tournament. I think you have a terrible roster. Aside I got from the Bumble. young, inspired guys. I think Champ is out for blood. He's on a mission this year. Mike, you have by far the worst <laughs> roster, I think. Watch my team turn the Victor up. Perez, first overall pick, Vic- was out. No, no, he was not the first. No, second, no, second, second overall, second overall pick. pick. Still, either way. <laughs> I don't care. Outrageous. <laughs> He's a good player. Good Euro Tour guy, but definitely getting a world rankings bump because of the, the Euro Tour. Probably shouldn't be 36. When I saw that when I saw that Instagram on the Euro Tour of his footwork, I just literally went like, oh, God. This could yeah, not kind of Scheffler-esque. He kind of reminds me of Scheffler. Just like tall guy. It was guy, long drive-esque. Him. Yeah, he, he's got the funky swing. Kind of similar guys. He nukes the ball, though. Yeah, Scheffler sneaky nukes it. He's He actually bombs it. Underratedly yeah. long. Also disappointed he's not in the Masters field. I know. No, he oh, is. Oh, no, he is in the Masters I have, field. I have him. I drafted him yeah. third overall. Yeah, Sean has him. Oh, that was right. a good pick. That was a good pick. That was a good pick. All right, well, that's a wrap. End of the episode. We had Paul Tesori. What a pleasure that was. We'll see yeah, you guys really, on really good interview. Great guy. We'll see you guys on Monday morning, huh? All right. Yeah. Boys, Looking take forward care. to a good weekend. All right. Ventura. All right.
Bermuda winner. Book it. Zalatoris. Bye. I hit a chili dip. It was off the it was off the hosel. I mean Cameron Davis is a joke. Mike, you got any yeah. takes on the e-golf pro tour? You already have iron covers. You already look like a giant <laughs> pussy. I don't care. I honestly don't give a shit. He could be six feet under at this point, whoever WD. I didn't watch a single bit of it, but I'm going to chirp at the Fairmont St. Andrews because of the name. Paul Tesori. Paul Tesori, friend of the pod. Neiman, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Friend of the pod, Aunt Betsy. Terrell Haddon, are you kidding me? And there's a raccoon, no joke, like 20 feet away. (laughs) Florida. Say Florida, I'm hanging. No, you can't say Florida.